Hi, today is November 24th, 2023, and my name is Junie, and welcome to the Theta Game Podcast. I'm not a financial advisor, and nothing I say is financial advice. I'm literally just a normal retail trader, just like you. I'm not certified or a graduate of finance, just a regular trader that started on Wall Street Bets years ago. I've lost a lot of money and made some of it back and more after finding a system that worked for me. I share my trades, system, and experiences all for free. Learn from my mistakes and get better start than me or use my experiences to help you rebound after selling too many calls. You can view all my trades for free at datagang.com slash Junie. There's no sign up required, no pop-ups, no ads, and you can email me at any questions um, <laughs> or rather any questions at Junie at datagang.com. There's also a cool Q&A feature on Spotify podcast where you can ask your questions directly in the app instead of email if you'd like. Lastly, I stream on Twitch every day the market is open uh, for at least an hour at 9 a.m. Pacific time. Come hang out, ask me questions, vent, or just chill. It's a positive environment and everyone is welcome at twitch.tv slash realthetagang. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. All right. Um, happy Thanksgiving to everybody. I don't know if I said that or not in the last podcast episode because I think I just was totally blindsided by Thanksgiving. I totally didn't see Thanksgiving coming so early. Um, but if I did say it, maybe in the 1% section, then that's that's good. Um, I'm recording this on Black Friday, which is cool. Hope you're getting the good deals. I don't know what the sort of like crazes about going to black friday now in person maybe online you can like justify some of the prices but going in person that's that's a little bit too crazy for me especially now at this age i've i was already not into it before but like now i just like the just the thought of being around so many people like being rude and trying to get the merchandise like oh that's like such a huge turnoff for me so i try to stay away um so i'm gonna record this podcast instead uh, if you are one of those people, or rather, if you are one of the employees working on Black Friday, thank you for your service. It is always difficult um, working in a retail store or a restaurant job and where the customer is demanding and maybe sometimes rude. So let me be the one thank you you might get for today. Um, but yeah, uh, it's it's a challenging experience, but we thank you, even though that we, you know, so some people could be rude at times. They're thankful. They're thankful, I'm sure. Next up, we have ThetaGang.com website updates. Um, quantities are now editable. So in case if like you open a trade and the default quantity is one, but like say you open like three long calls because you bought three calls, uh, but you accidentally logged one. Previously, you weren't able to change the quantity on the trade log, but now you are, so that's new. That was just released this week. Um, previously, the trade types for ThetaGang.com were called long naked calls and long naked puts, uh, but now they've just been shortened to long calls and long puts, which are not only shorter, but more accurate in terminology. Um, it, there were also changes to the timeline. So when you go to ThetaGang.com and you go to the homepage, you see this like list of trades. That's what's called uh, the timeline. Um, and I made it so that when you see a trade, 
when you refresh you won't see that trade anymore so you get to kind of like you know go at your own pace go at your own speed and see trades on the way down um as you scroll um but you know there were often times where users would view like maybe 10 trades and then you know they come back later in the day and then they don't want to see the same 10, 10 trades again so they want to just skip down to the bottom and this was a unique way to just um or show the trades only once and last but not least the biggest and most obvious change if you go to thetagame.com right now is that there is now dark mode it is the only mode that you can have the website in but there's just been so much demand for dark mode um and I, I was looking at some statistics too. It's like 80% of people actually use dark mode. So I don't necessarily feel bad for people that miss, that will miss the light mode. I've gotten so much negative feedback from the light mode, <laughs> but I've never received bad feedback for dark mode. Um, so, you know, while I'm a one man show, the dark mode will be the only mode that's available. But maybe if datagame.com grows and I get employees and we get to do f more of the fun stuff, I could make light mode toggleable or something. But now we have dark mode and Christmas has came early. <laughs>
hours on the day of expiration. There's so many words and terminologies that that go into this style of trading. But my main premise is that 5K is still not a lot of money to be doing call credit spreads and put credit spreads, but really also not a lot of money to also be doing long calls and long puts, especially if you don't know what you're doing. So 5K still, I think, much better spent doing some sort of dollar cost averaging with stocks and shares and then just working a nine to five and developing that really nice size portfolio where you can do covered calls, cash geared puts. Maybe you could do credit spreads with like even just like a same $500 max loss, but your portfolio would be big enough where you don't get wiped in a string of bad luck. Um, any amount below... Honestly, I think like 10 to 15K, any amount below that um, is just not enough to do a strategy where you lose money in the end. Like, and by lose money, I mean if you had just bought in shares and you're down on the shares, you still own the shares. But, like, say for example, you lose on a put credit spread or a call credit spread, um, or you lose on a long call or a long put, you just lose the money you're you, you don't you don't have any shares to hold on to for it to come back because in the end options expire and which makes them inevitably dangerous for those that don't know uh, or don't understand what they're doing so that's just my word of caution i'm doing really well so far with 9.23 percent if you want to come join and watch me live and just you know hang out have someone to hang out with in the morning at 9 a.m pacific time it's a fun place twitch.tv slash real theta gang again at 9 a.m pacific time i also do want to mention uh what stocks i've been sort of winning with i think that's also helpful so um i've only lost once so far in the 5k count and that's on a target put credit spread we've since then done two target put credit spreads that have won but i've also won with uh shopify uh meta Costco and AMD. Uh, I don't trade many tickers on the put credit spread or rather the 5k account um, because I want to not go for necessarily volume in terms of like or rather volume is not the right word. I don't want to go for diversity. I think a lot of people when they first start learning about put put credit spreads and call credit spreads you can be like uh, attracted to or you might see some advice being passed around where you go for volume of trades which i believe i think that in order for a probability profit to work out in the end you know that number that is shown to you in the brokerage of like how uh what the chances are of you opening that trade is in order for that number to make sense you need to reach a certain volume of trades because you could receive a string of good luck but you could also receive a string of bad luck in your trades where you're realizing a lot of gains but you're also realizing a lot of losses um over a longer period of time but in order for that to work you need a large amount of volume there are a certain percentage of people online that teach about options talk about options that say that hey you should open up uh these sort of uh put credit spreads call credit spreads in different sectors of the um the economy or just like different in different businesses or different business industries um meaning like oh why don't you open like a put credit spread on energy why don't you put a put credit spread on tech put a put credit spread on healthcare 
But in my experience, um, I think just trading what companies you're excited to look at the news at is better because it just makes it more fun to keep up with the news on things. Um, if in the event that you know you feel like oh, Bajuni d- doesn't looking at news make you more susceptible to making emotional choices. That's where I think you should start working on your fundamentals first, where you get more used to your positions starting off red or your positioned profit loss going up and down. Um, because if you go in with a system of like, okay, if it profits, I'm going to just take 50% and uh, close it at 50%, take the rest home as a profit, as opposed to someone that might open a put credit spread, they start winning, they let it stay green. And they try to get every last dollar, but on the last day or last week, it, it reverses. And then they say, like, oh, man, you know, uh, I let greed get to me. Or maybe this company's news article messed me up. But in the end, it was just your greed. It was just, like, you not having a plan on when to take profits and stuff. And so that's what I mean by having fundamentals. If you have your fundamentals fundamentals in place, it makes trading individual stocks much easier. Because the only thing that I see bad about trading individual stocks is you care almost too much about the news. Um, But I frame it in a way that's positive that you're excited to keep up with news of the stock. So instead of just buying five different companies and five different sectors about like that of companies that you've never heard of, I think it's actually better to just focus on five companies that you use, that you are passionate about. um, But don't let the news take over your trades. Like the worst thing you can do is, you know, you start doing pretty well with put credit spreads and call credit spreads, maybe an occasional short iron condor or something. And then all of a sudden you get really bullish on like, oh, maybe you really love Costco. And then you see an article that says Costco is on par to beat an all-time high of holiday sales. And you're like, wow, you know, I've already had done really well with Costco before with put credit spreads. I'm going to open up 10 of these now because this article says that they're going to smash numbers. Um, that's where you start to let the news take over, okay? And that's vice versa. If maybe there's an article that bashes Costco that says, you know what, they're not I, – I don't know. I'm just making stuff up at this point. But, like, maybe Costco isn't raising membership rates in a fast enough time frame. Uh, and it seemed as bearish for the stock and you decide to like write call credit spreads aka like a bearish trade on it you you try to open up 10 of them because this article said so you have to really lean and fall into your uh, like fall back onto your system if you've been selling one put credit spread or one call credit spread this entire time because you're just doing this responsibly you're doing it to learn um all of a sudden you read an article and then you have an itch to open up 10 of them, that's a problem. I'd say like even reading an article and then trying to open two of them is a problem. You're letting an article like sort of influence your decisions. Not to say like you shouldn't listen to news at all, but why don't you just keep your size of your bet the same? (laughs) You know, like just, it's okay. Like if it wins, then it's great. You're going to be ecstatic because you just saw this article and you made money on it. But you know, if you lose, you're going to be like, oh, you know what? Good thing I kept myself in check. Good thing I've kept on only um, doing one put credit spread or one call credit spread uh, despite reading this article. So yeah, keeping your fundamentals in place, trading what you like, trading what you know, really good for um, sort of these style of trades.
All right, and to close off this section, as if I haven't talked about my stream enough, um, I am really proud of it because I put a lot of work into making it look nice, and I feel like the production value has gone up tremendously since I've streamed before. Um, we're at all-time high uh, on that, too. Uh, I feel like the more energy I've been putting into Twitch, the more sort of feedback and uh, people have been showing up, and it feels really, really good. So I want to say just thank you to everyone that showed up on the Twitch stream in the last, like, three weeks that I've been running it. Every week we hit a higher number of everything, more unique chatters, more first-time chatters, um, higher follows, higher amount of follows, higher amount of unique views, higher everything. And so it feels really good that it's trending up. I see this also with podcast analytics too. We're hitting, um, you know, our stride in uh, the podcast numbers where, you know, before when I took a break between version three and four of the website to work on the version four of the website, um, there's there a trickle off of the podcast analytics, but podcast is coming back strong too. So I'm hype. Like it feels good that I'm doing this full time and I'm seeing that the more energy I put into this thing, more people are showing up and more people are supporting. So thank you for listening to the podcast and thank you for showing up to the Twitch stream. It means a lot. Also, thank you for using the website. <laughs> All right. Um, now we're going to talk about this week's earnings. So, you know, as as per usual, you know, I take some part of my day every Monday through Friday to write down the earnings reports summaries that I write, um, gathering information about my favorite companies that reported the week during the week. Um, for this week, um, I only have one, two, three, four, five, five companies. First one being Lowe's. Uh, very short. Uh, Lowe's missed on revenue but beat on earnings per share. Uh, they guided down for the whole next fiscal year. Uh, stock was trading down 2.4% at the bell open. And I say at the bell open because they reported before market open. Then there's Dick's Sporting Goods. Beat on earnings per share by 15%. That's pretty big. And revenue by 3%. Um, they said they were excited for the holiday season, unlike Walmart and Target. Uh, guided up for the full year, which is great. In the second quarter, it blamed a 20% drop in profits or 23% drop in profits um, due to theft and markdowns. Um, but they slashed that sort of guidance and they revised um, their next year up. So that's great. So instead of saying, hey, you know what, we're getting stolen from too much and we have to mark down items too much because of bad inventory management, um, they said, you know what, we're going to take ownership of that. But Better yet, we're going to raise the next full year guidance. So that's been that's really good for the stock. And it was trading up 11% at Bell Open. But it quickly cooled down to 4% midday. Next up, there is Best Buy. Best Buy beat on earnings per share but fell short on revenue. Best Buy cut its full year sales forecast, uh, a.k.a. they guided down because they're saying customers want lower prices, thus leading to less profit margin. CNBC reports that Best Buy, like home improvement retailers, is seeing demand moderate as it follows years of increased purchases of computer monitors, home theaters, and appliances during the COVID pandemic. Customers not only have shifted back to spending on experiences, such as airplane and concert tickets, but also have less money for discretionary purchases as they spend more on necessities like food because of inflation. 
the absolute mega earnings that is NVIDIA that everyone is watching uh, also happened this week. Um, NVIDIA smashed on revenue and earnings uh, per share expectations, but of course, their price to earnings ratio, an indicator of how much their stock price is compared to the amount of money that they make, is very high. Um, they're supposed to, and I'm like, like doing air quotes right now, they're supposed to make money. They're supposed to smash these expectations because their stock price in accordance to how much money they, they generate as a business is really, really skewed, right? Like it's, there's a, you pay a lot for a lot of future value that is priced in to maybe like 10 years. Okay. So when you buy NVIDIA, you're not betting that like NVIDIA will just continue doing well. It needs to do great going forward. So although they smashed revenue and EPS expectations, the stock ended up down 1.5% after the bell. NVIDIA previously had a monstrous year when GPUs were in high demand as computer gaming became popular during COVID lockdowns, then had another boom in demand when GPUs were used for mining cryptocurrencies and then now generative AI. Most recent example being the rise of popularity of OpenAI's ChatGPT. So what that essentially just means is NVIDIA is pretty cyclical, uh, but being advantageous in these cycles is very advantageous for a company. Uh, for example, like if you're the company that sells graphics cards and everyone's stuck at home playing video games, your GPUs are going to sell red hot. Um, you know, if everyone's then now buying crypto and they need GPUs to mine crypto, your GPUs will also do hot. Uh, and then now with, you know, the the rise in popularity of like generative AI with like Dolly and ChatGPT, there needs to be graphics cards to be able to like, um, or AI chips slash graphics cards to power all these um, services. And NVIDIA is taking advantage of that too. So, you know, we're seeing that NVIDIA has to live up to these expectations because it's priced in so much. Uh, and that although they smashed revenue in EPS, their share price still went down. Um, this is case in point uh, for earnings being dangerous. It didn't matter if you bought calls and you thought smashed revenue, uh, smashing revenue and er earnings per share was going to be beat. Uh, the stock went down anyway, right? Like it's very, very dangerous to play earnings. I can't stress it enough. Um, one of my... One of my guilty pleasures, to be honest, is like going on like Reddit or StockTwits or any of these like like the Yahoo Finance comment section. And when I see people are upset that their like long calls are or long puts even that they're buying are down, even though like their earnings went their way that they thought that and they guessed the correct direction, but they're still still losing. It's it's just a good reminder. Like it helps me keep myself in check. I'm like, that could be me, you know, cause I used to trade like that. I used to also get kind of upset. Um, if you know, I guessed the direction correctly, but I still lost on my long option. Very frustrating experience. I understand why you would vent into an online forum, but, uh, yeah, it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, last but not least, we have Nordstrom. Um, Nordstrom missed on revenue expectations but beat on earnings per share. Ever since the pandemic, Nordstrom has had three straight years of less revenue than 2019, aka pre-COVID levels. They're mentioning that their more premium Nordstrom stores are not doing well and are focusing on opening more of their Nordstrom rack stores. 
Though both stores are losing in net sales, um, their flagship Nordstrom store is down 9.4% and Nordstrom Rack only down 1.8%. Digital sales have also gone down by 11.3% from a year ago period. But on the bullish side, they have opened 19 stores in the last full year. Its inventory is also down 9% year over year. That's a good thing. You want to carry less product, especially if you order too much product in 2021 when there's a market rally. And they also had lower amounts of markdowns in the three-month period from last quarter. E-commerce is up in general, um, just for industry-wide for retail, as noted by Shopify. Um, but hearing companies like Nordstrom report lower sales online, because you know I just mentioned that uh, digital sales um, were down 11.3%. Uh, That's a big deal, especially when e-commerce is up for everybody else. Um, it's just meaning that people are less inclined to buy premium stuff from Nordstrom when they're buying stuff just maybe from Shopify or more independent, more like homegrown brands on Shopify. Um, it just says a lot. Holiday sales are up uh, for discounted stores like Macy's, uh, which makes sense due to the economic climate, which may benefit Nordstrom rack stores. But we might still see the flagship Nordstrom store continue to lose sales. Nordstrom can benefit a lot in the event that the consumer feels strong for in-person sales. Um, Nordstrom's stock was changed very little after hours, only down half a percent. In the event that I think the consumer feels strong again, I think Nordstrom has a good amount to gain, right? Like if their sales have been declining for their flagship store, people feeling like they can afford those purchases will only benefit their flagship store, which has had the most amount of loss, right? Which is why they're leading into Nordstrom Rack. I think in a like booming environment, even like during rallies, like discounted stores still do well. Um, but it's like during times like now where, you know, people are getting laid off, the economy is a little tight, that discounted stores like Macy's, Nordstrom Rack, Ross, TJ Maxx, they're doing pretty good. Um, but, Nordstrom having both types of stores will see a massive benefit, I think, in the event that the economy t returns back to somewhat normal next year. I just don't think it's necessarily going to happen within the next three months. So I can see maybe why it's only down half a percent um, because, you know, this doesn't really change much. Um, their flagship store being really down, but Nordstrom Rack kind of carrying their weight. And I think really the stock is moving depending on consumer sentiment right now. All right, and we got news for this week before we head into today's topic. Um, news this week, uh, have you ever heard of ChatGPT? Like, I guess I'm, I, I don't know why I'm asking you this question. I, I can't hear if you're saying yes or no. Hopefully you have. It's a website service slash AI service that you could go online. Um, it's also an app too, um, but you can ask this AI service questions and it'll respond to you. Um, with a genuine response that's usually accurate. It could be inaccurate at times if you ask it something very, 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 very specific. Um, but most of the time, uh, it's correct. There's There's been times where I use it because I use it regularly like every day. Um, there's been times where it's a little bit unclear and I'll just ask it for more clarification and it ends up being right. Um, but you can correct it and stuff and it'll learn. It's really, really cool. Uh, it's gotten really popular. I think a lot of, pe a lot of people use it now. But it also has its own fair of controversy. 
In a very Game of Thrones-esque style, the board of directors of OpenAI, the company that owns ChatGPT, ousted the CEO. The CEO is a very smart guy. His name is Sam Altman. Um, he advocates for like the correct usage of AI, meaning like don't take advantage of the common people. Make sure there's like laws around it, and you know there's just a lot of things that he advocates for um, that the board of directors might not like. The board of directors weren't very clear on why they exactly ousted him, um, but since then, since he got ousted, Microsoft actually hired Altman. Okay. And this is where it gets kind of crazy because Microsoft has a huge stake in OpenAI, meaning like they invest a lot of money into OpenAI. So it's kind of like the parent company or the big investor sort of stealing or poaching the CEO of the smaller company. Now, what makes this more interesting was earlier in the week, the um, the OpenAI company, the company without its CEO anymore, uh, threatened to the board of directors, hey, Board of Directors, we don't like the direction that you're taking this company in by firing a Sam Altman. Uh, 670 of us, or some outrageous number, because the company is only about like 700 people big or eight, or 800 people big. It's really not that big at all. But a majority of the company was threatening to leave. They said, hey, get us back Sam Altman and step down as the Board of Directors, um, or we're going to all follow Sam Altman to Microsoft. Microsoft then said, you know what? Uh, that sounds good to us. We'll match whatever pay you guys have at OpenAI. Just come work for us under Sam Altman because um, we're going to give Sam his own division and we're going to take over this thing. Um, and that all happened this week. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, and the the sort of update now is Sam Altman is back at OpenAI. So if I just never said anything, you know, if I just didn't talk about this news this week on this podcast... You might just never have known this this happened, but this this happened. This was crazy um, in the tech world, at least, because I don't know. You know, I know like a good amount of tech people actually listen to the podcast, but I'm sure that there's like uh, several people that aren't so tech savvy that might use ChatGPT from time to time, but they have no idea that this drama is going on. So this is a bit of like a reality show type of event here or maybe like a big twist in game of thrones event where they oust the king and then the king is comes back for the empire and all this stuff is it's crazy it's a this timeline that we live in is nuts with how much publicity publicity is that how you say publicity that all these headlines get and so you're really invested into this news and all this drama and it's like this seems like too much drama for for huge companies like this to have you know it's like it's a whole thing, but very exciting. Glad to report on it. Honestly, I'm pretty glad that Sam Altman is actually back at OpenAI as well. Um, you know, for the things that they've been doing with ChatGPT, they're like the strongest that they've ever been. Uh, they're in a good market position. Having just investment from Microsoft might be good instead of letting Microsoft just like absorb you. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot of cool things that are happening. So I do wish Sam Altman and the OpenAI team the best. Um, if you I'm just going to throw this out there. If you work at OpenAI um, and you could prove your employment to me at juniathetagang.com, I'd love to interview you for a podcast episode and just, you know, easy questions like, you know, what's it like working there? Do you like it? Um, you know, what are some of the good stuff that you like about working on it? What gets you excited to work on AI? What's some, just, you know, some general AI stuff. Like, that'd, be, that'd be kind of cool. 
Um, I doubt it though, but it'd be kind of cool, right? So if you work at OpenAI, <laughs> let me know. But if you don't, it's cool. You know, maybe someday this podcast will blow up and be viral. But until then, yeah, let's get to the next section. Okie dokie artichoke. So last week we talked about buying options. For example, if you bought a call, you're buying a contract that says you have the right to buy these shares at X price, whatever your strike price is. If you buy a put, you have the right to sell your stock at a certain price, similar to buying insurance is like buying a put because you have the right to sell at, say, a lower price. You would buy the put if you thought it was going to go lower, and you buy the call if you think it's going to go higher because buying a call allows you to buy at a certain price. So if you think it's going to go to 110 uh, and a stock's currently trading at 100, maybe you buy the 105 because if you think it's going to go to 110, well, I would love the opportunity to buy at 105 anyway, so why don't I buy the 105 call? So this is very much the buy side, and the buy side is a lot easier to conceptualize than the sell side. Um, a very common misconception is that you know when you start talking about selling options, people that buy options are like, yeah, I do that all the time. I sell my option to uh, close my profits. Like who doesn't? Who lets their options expire when you buy an option? You want to sell it for a profit. And that's where this third word comes in, which is synonymous or it means the similar or very much the same as selling is writing. So right now we're not talking about selling your option that you bought for a profit or for a loss. I mean, if you lost on it, but we're not talking about selling to close an option. Right now we're talking about selling to open a position, which is also known as writing an option. So in this podcast episode topic, as I talk about selling an option or writing an option, aka maybe selling a call or writing a call, they both mean the same thing. One of the first hurdles that we need to overcome um, as, you know, I've taught this sort of strategy or this concept to many people, especially in person. And one of the main questions is like, you know, Junie, how do I sell something uh, that I don't have, right? Like we're so used to um, buying options and then selling them to close the trade. But you've just learned this new fancy terminology about writing options and selling options, whether it's from podcast or a YouTube video or subreddit. Um, and you want to begin to sell or write options. How the heck do you start? How, are you, how do you sell a contract that you don't have? That's when we start falling back onto the second definition of you know this process of writing. So again, synonymous with selling, you could just say writing. We write the contract. When you write a contract, aka maybe you write a call or you write a put, um, you're selling a call or you're selling a put. And when you do that in the brokerage platform, um, there will be a minus one in the quantity field of when you open the trade. Say, for example, you did open a, a, a short call when you sold a call or a short put. If you sold the put, you will see a minus one, right? Like if we imagine that you had a brand new Robinhood account and you had 
20k in there um and no trades open nothing you're able to go in there and just sell a put um and then you would see when you after you sell the put you'll see a minus one in the quantity this is not to say that this is what you would do but it is an example of being able to sell something that you don't have the brokerage will keep track of this obligation or this keep track of this call that you or put that you wrote um, and it'll keep track of it by denoting a minus one in the quantity field for whichever brokerage app you're using um, it's not like you get to sell an option um, and then just forget about it the brokerage app will keep track of it uh, and it'll have a minus one for some of you that are a little bit more veteran um, you'll understand that yeah this is very basic stuff but when it comes to teaching someone about the sell side for the first time this is absolutely the hardest concept to grasp is that when you're on the sell side you're you're basically writing a contract and putting it out to the ether and you're hoping that someone buys it and when they do buy it someone on the other end of that trade is is essentially in and on it with you and your trade is not done until you buy it back cuz this obligation that you have where it says negative 1 has to be closed eventually or it expires um, but we'll get into that a little bit later but I hope this point here in the last like maybe like two or three minutes I've harped on this is that you can open a fresh account assuming that your account is approved for options trading and all that all the all the dangerous uh, like disclaimers and stuff about how option trading is really dangerous to blow up your account which is true it can blow up your account so use use caution and use your um, <laughs> due diligence to f learn this more on your own but you can just sell or write a contract without buying one first this is one of the hardest concepts to first grasp but just understand that you can do this so now that we got the honestly the hardest part out of the way because that just that alone just understanding that you can have a negative quantity because you're on the sell side which is normal um, that you can just have a negative quantity it's the hardest part to grasp um, but now let's just talk about why you would necessarily do all of this right like if you're able to just put into the ether these contracts that people are willing to buy and sell like why why are you doing this when you are writing these contracts aka these calls and puts um maybe you've been on the buy side before right like someone wants to buy calls and someone wants to buy puts but for this trade to ever happen someone needs to be willing to sell when it comes to like the chicken and the egg um, I think the honestly the sell side really does come first someone needs to be able to take the obligation um, first and foremost and then it's the the buy side that buys whatever the sell price really sets it at maybe the buy sides you know there's supply and demand that goes up and down in the bid and ask but if you never have someone on the sell side willing to take on the obligation of the buyer there's no trade so as the seller you're like the head of the casino, okay? So as people want to buy calls and buy puts because they think it's gonna go really up or they think it's gonna go really down, they need someone to take on that bet. And usually it's the casino or it's usually the person with a large amount of money that can cover these sort of big style trades. For example, uh, say Apple is trading at 100 and someone on Wall Street Bets thinks, hey, you know what, in one week, 
they think that Apple will go up 10%. It's possible, not very likely, but they'll pay you like $30 for the chance to buy it at 110 in case if it does go that high. So in exchange for that, you say, you know what? Uh, I will allow you to buy my shares of Apple that I currently already have um, for 110 if it reaches there. But in order for you to have that sort of option and that sort of privilege, you have to pay me some amount of money. And in this case, it might be like 30 bucks or maybe even less if we're talking about real numbers because a 10% move in a week is really crazy, especially for Apple. Okay, and so let's let's slow it down because I really want to go slowly on this episode because this is really the meat and potatoes before we hop into like a little bit more of advanced concepts going forward. Um, you know, why am I talking about privilege and why am I talking about like the option to buy something? Let's let's remember, you know, a, a call is the right to buy. So when you buy a call, you you have the right, but you don't need to do it, but you have the right to to buy shares at a specific price. In this case, the person on Wall Street Bets wants the right to buy it at 110, but it ha- it's going to cost them something. This this sort of right to buy something isn't free. It comes at a cost. This cost is what you pay to the person or to the hedge fund uh, for taking on this bet for you. So if Mr. Hedge Fund or Mrs. Hedge Fund thinks that Apple will not go above 110, they will take this bet. They'll say, you know what, pay me the 30 bucks. This ain't going to happen. And if it expires worthless, I'm keeping your 30 bucks. But if it goes above 110, you have the right to buy these shares that I own for 110, and I'll sell you these shares at 110. But luckily for me, this might not be my only 100 shares that I own if I'm a big hedge fund, um, and or it's really above my cost basis. So in the very end, I'm just selling these for a profit to you anyway. Maybe my cost basis on these are like 80 bucks because I picked them up a long time ago. Uh, so it's a, it's a win-win for me here. Um, all in exchange for you taking this really out the money, low probability chance of paying 30 bucks for something that's very unlikely. This starts to play in with the option valuing um, that we did in the last podcast episode where, you know, if something is less probable to happen, you will pay less for the option. So, you know, the further out the money I sell a call or sell a put, the less likely it is to happen, I will get paid less. So we started this topic with understanding that you can have this obligation that results in a minus one quantity of the option that you sold. If you sold the call, you would see minus one call with the strike price and the stock ticker and all that stuff. Um, but how do you make that negative one go away? You know, like I think that's one of the more common questions I also get is, I I received a profit on my short call or my short put. Um, how do I make it go away? Uh, I want to collect my gains and just be free of this obligation. In order for you to be done with this uh, this uh, writing of the option or the selling of the option, because these, these are all, again, just trades that you're doing. In order to be done with this trade, you need to buy it back or hope that it expires. This means that when you sell an option, you don't need to wait until it expires. Um, in this event that you know the Wall Street Bets person paid this hedge fund 30 bucks, the hedge fund doesn't necessarily need to wait till exp- expiration to collect uh, any profits. 
in the event that um, you know Apple does go down after this Wall Street bets person bought calls, uh, the hedge fund can just buy the call back or buy a the same call with the same strike to release the obligation or AKA cancel out the negative one that they see in their portfolio. I think the most common thought pattern from here is like, okay, if the person that sells or the hedge fund that sells these uh, short options or sells these options or writes these options, if they're able to close the trade whenever they want, uh, even before expiration, does that mean when they close the trade that the contract that the Wall Street Bets person bought, does that also close? And the answer is no. This is one of the more confusing parts. Um, probably not the most confusing because, again, just selling something that you don't have or writing something that you don't have, I think, is still the most confusing thing. But this is a close runner-up. Um, just because you close your obligation early does not mean that it closes the trade for the person on the buy side. If the hedge fund closes uh, their, you know, their call that they sold early, aka they bought it back for cheaper, releasing their obligation, you know, making that minus one turn into zero because they just bought the call back, aka buying the same call, making it plus one. So you take a minus one and you just bought one, aka plus one, minus one plus one, cancel out zero, so you have no obligation left, and you see nothing in the UI, you're done with this trade, you exited with a profit because you sold the call, you bought it back at a lower price, you captured the difference, and you're happy. But the the main track of thought here that you, newer people have questions about is like, what happens to the Wall Street Bets person? The Wall Street Bets person still has their trade open, and that's because it's not like this contract is the literal contract that the hedge fund wrote, okay? When you're on the buy side, you're, you're just essentially trading this representation of this, of this uh, contract. It's not like a NFT where it's non-fungible and it's like a one-of-one -one thing that's exclusive to you and your relationship with the hedge fund. You just have to remember that you're trading within a brokerage. A brokerage brokers transactions for you and they keep track of all this transactional data so that all you have to do as a trader, whether you're on the buy side or sell side, is just take care of yourself. You relieve yourself of your obligations by canceling out. For example, if you sell to open a trade or you write an option or you sell an option, you eventually have to either buy it back or let it expire. And by buying it back, it doesn't influence the other person on the other end of the trade because there's just tons of those contracts in the middle. Um, assuming that you're not trading a contract that only has a volume of one, which is dang near impossible or you're gonna get really ripped off because there's tons of things like slippage that get into that sort of muddy mix of option valuing. But um, assuming that you're trading an option that has a lot of volume uh, or a ticker that is just actively traded, there's going to be lots of contracts floating, uh, going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And in that process, all you have to do is just make sure that your obligations are taken care of, aka if you're on the buy side, you typically want to sell for a profit, right? So if you sell for a profit, um, you know your, your call that you bought, it doesn't close out the transaction for the person that uh, you know sold that call, for example. Um, it, on the other hand, if you want to close your um, trade early on the sell side, 
you're not influencing the person that's on the buy side by like buying back the contract for less, releasing your obligation, and you keeping the profits. So don't think of this as like a one-to-one -one fight against another person. Though it's talked about like that in a lot of senses, just because it's like it's humorous. It's a it's a fun way to think about it. But at the end of the day, you're just trading like representations of these contracts uh, because you buying it back. Uh, to release your obligation does not influence the other person's obligation. The other person still has the right to buy. It just not might just not might be from you, for in this case. Like if you're uh, selling the right to buy Apple at 110, you buy the contract back, releasing your obligation. The Wall Street Bets person that has the uh, 110 call contract that they still have. If they exercise or they want to buy the shares at 110 and they exercise the contract, it won't be from you because you've already released your obligation. Even though in the earlier example, it might have sounded like they were this was like a very um, tied relationship. But again, we're just trading representations. So just take care of yourself. This is probably the easiest way I could explain it. And just relieve yourself of your own obligations and don't think it's going to influence the other person. It's kind of like a why would I ever think this sort of deal. But this is, again, another th thing that people get uh, hung up on um, when they're starting to learn options. And, you know, they're saying like, oh, does that mean, you know, my call option and my put option is at risk of just randomly being closed? And uh, no, I would say that that's not going to happen. Next up, um, it wouldn't be a Thadian podcast if I didn't talk about like the extremes of where things can go wrong. Um, you know, it, it would be kind of actually hard to get to a point where you can do these really dangerous trades without clicking through a lot of disclaimers and having to upgrade your account. But I thought I'd just mention it anyway because. You know, I was going to originally just start talking about cash secured puts and covered calls like a lot of veterans would probably start off with. But um, just talking about this in the most vanilla way possible, um, there, you know, if if you're just starting to learn, you're probably just thinking, okay, selling options means just selling puts and selling calls. Um, in the event that you sell a call and it does go in the money, but you don't own the shares, that's what's considered sh a short call or you just wrote a call. And that typically has a unlimited loss, a max loss, uh, if the stock goes up. Meaning like, you know, it, the chances are really low, but it can happen. It could alter your life. It could really mess your life up. But imagine if you, say, um, sold a call on NVIDIA and you don't have any NVIDIA shares. So if you're selling someone the right to buy NVIDIA at like, I don't know, 600 bucks, but you don't have 100 NVIDIA shares to sell someone in the event that they do want to actually exercise the right to do that, um, then you have to pay up the difference. Um, it, it's when the person decides to exercise, you have to be ready to fulfill that obligation. Um, you, some of you might say, well, you know, why would you ever sell a short naked call or like a short call ever? Um, and that's, you know, risk appetite. Some people really love betting the top, like, uh, it, you know, assuming that like Nvidia goes down from whatever price it's at right now, uh, you would keep the premium because the option would essentially expire worthless if it kept going down. Uh, it's just a another style of uh, bearish trading. If you think the stock will go down, uh, selling a call would benefit you if the stock traded flat. 
uh, or if the stock went down. And it sounds like a really big brain play. But if you don't have the shares to cover this uh, short call, you're going to have a really, really bad time because you're now in a max loss scenario where if, what if NVIDIA went to $800? Holy moly, you'd be down like $40,000 overnight. Say, for example, NVIDIA becomes like the only chip manufacturer in the world because all the other ones simultaneously blow up for, for some re for whatever reason, right? NVIDIA goes to 800 um, Or imagine if you sold, uh, this is a great example. Imagine if you sold calls on GameStop without owning any GameStop shares um, and just because you know you learned about this new strategy and you're like oh I could receive premium by selling calls to Wall Street bets uh, because I'm better than them I'm smarter than them because I know about this like strategy I learned about like five minutes ago um, and you decide to sell all these short naked calls on GameStop because you're like no way it's gonna keep doing this short squeeze it's gotta come down eventually um, and then you get destroyed because GameStop goes from $13 to $500 and you are like 50K down on just like one call. Like imagine if you, or like imagine if you sold multiple of these calls, uh, then that you're just finally bankruptcy at that point. So selling calls just in a nutshell, uh, and forgive my napkin math before, like I'm just doing like mental math and maybe it's like incredibly off, but like selling calls without owning the shares is really really dangerous and that's what's considered a short call typically in order to do this you need to fill out a form or fill out some sort of questionnaire that sort of proves that you know what you're doing and you have to fill out a checkbox that says like this is a very dangerous style of trading but i want to do it anyway you have to have like level three uh option trading experience every brokerage i think does it a little bit different so i'm not gonna use the exact terminology here but you can see why selling a call without owning the shares is really dangerous okay selling a put without the shares is okay um understandably this is uh this can be done with margin it's typically done with cash margin is just essentially money that you're borrowing from a brokerage kind of like a loan um but you know when you do a short put or you write a put aka you're giving someone the right to sell you these shares um you're essentially acting as someone's insurance so if you're on the buy side um maybe you're not even a wall street bets sort of person but you're just someone managing their portfolio and someone says you know what i have apple at 100 and i think that apple can actually go down 10 percent this month because i think iphone sales are gonna like plummet uh, in this next uh, earnings report so I want to buy a put. Um, when they want to buy a put, someone has to sell that put. And that's me, right? Like I will sell them the maybe 95 put. Like I don't think Apple is going to actually go down this, uh, go down or at least that far. Maybe Apple goes to 97, 96, but I don't think it's going to go down to 95. I don't think it's going to go down to 90. So yes, I will give you the right to sell me this stock at 90. Uh, if it reaches there though, if it trades anywhere above 90, if I sold the uh, 90 put or 95, if I sold the 95, uh, I will have to buy at that price because I'm just someone's insurance, okay? So someone buys the 90 put, I sold them the 90 put. They have the right to sell me Apple in case if it hits 90 or below. 
Now, the craziest part about all this is that, like, in the event that Apple just stays above 90, I'm pretty good. Like, I'm going to profit on this trade to some extent. But this is the part where playing house, like in a casino, or playing the insurance guy uh, goes wrong. It's like if Apple shoots down to 70, I am forced to buy the shares still at $90. Um, if they exercise it otherwise i'm still sitting on a very red sort of trade in my uh trading ui like it's going to be at least a loss of the difference between 90 and 70 because that's how much the option has lost its value um or rather gained its value in this case because i'm on the short side so any gain of the contract is bad for me the person that bought the contract is really up on the contract uh because you know as you buy puts, if the stock goes down, the value of the put contract goes up, which is a good thing for the buy side, but a bad thing for the sell side. But there's degrees to this, of course, right? Like you're not gonna always sell the insurance to someone and the insurance always pays off. I'd say in most cases, the insurance does not pay off, right? In most insurance companies, like car insurance companies, health insurance companies, I'd say a majority of people don't actually need to end up using their insurance, but rather they just pay for it anyway. That's similar with stocks. These movements where I'm talking about like these really bad max loss scenarios of Nvidia going up to 800 when you're short call without the um, without the shares to back it up, or in this case where Apple goes from $100 to 70 or $60, like a 30 or 40% drop, is not possible, but it can happen. So when we start exploring on when we should write these put contracts or sell these put contracts um it's always best done with companies that have um a lot of market cap a lot of uh options volume a lot of uh stock trading volume um stocks that have uh like a good track record or you know i'm basically saying don't sell puts on penny stocks or biopharmaceutical companies and all these other companies that have huge margin for error in the event that you have to end up buying these shares. But selling puts on companies that you were going to buy anyway is could be a really strong alternative than to just dollar cost average slowly, right? I think dollar cost averaging is honestly one of the best strategies in the stock market. I'm a full believer in it. No matter how much I might sell options or write options or advocate for doing this sort of strategy, buying it slowly a little bit at a time responsibly the boring way i think is still one of the best ways to do it but it's boring and so i like keeping this fun and so a lot of the fun comes in interacting with the stock market through vehicles like these like selling puts and selling calls when they're covered right when i own the shares i don't mind selling calls and when i want to buy a stock i will typically just write a put or sell a put i just would rather be someone's insurance so that in the event that the stock goes down i end up picking up the shares that i was going to buy anyway at a lower price because i'm picking it up at the insured price not the price of the current stock today say that i have a fresh account nothing in it but i have like twenty five thousand dollars amd right now is trading at 120 um you know, I've heard some nice stuff about AMD. Maybe I want to invest into AMD, but I've also learned about this new strategy about like cash secured puts or short puts. And I want to give that a go. 
So you know what? Instead of just buying AMD outright, you know, I think I'll just like try one of these trades. I will sell a put. I'll be someone's insurance. So I say, you know what? Instead of picking up the shares right now at 120, I'm going to be someone's insurance for 118. If it goes below 118, I promise to buy it from you at 118. And I will do that in case if you exercise the put option that I sell you. But you're going to pay me in order to take this risk. So in order to take this risk, maybe you pay me $100 or $200. And in the event that AMD stays above 118, I keep the money that you gave me. In the event that AMD, you know, doesn't ever go below 118, it means that I'll never have to buy the AMD shares, but I am collecting premium or I'm collecting the money that I'm being paid to take on this risk or be this person's insurance. So, you know, instead of picking up shares and having to deal with, you know, managing shares, you're just now selling insurance and managing insurance. You're selling contracts and closing out the contracts but buying them back. And that is uh, options selling sort of, uh, sort of in a nutshell. What will eventually happen, though, is that you will be assigned, right? Like you'll be assigned in one way or another, whether if it's the call option uh, if someone exercises the call option and you own the shares, you're going to get assigned um, uh, to sell the 100 shares at that specific price uh, because they have the right to buy it. Uh, otherwise, when you get assigned on a cash secured put or, a, or when you're being assigned on a short put, uh, the person that's exercising the put on the buy side is having the right to sell. So then you have to buy the 100 shares of AMD and that's going to happen if you sell too many puts or not rather not too many puts but if you just sell contracts often you're going to get assigned and this fluctuation of shares coming in and shares coming out um, in this process of cash secured puts and covered calls this is what's considered the wheel and this is what's considered the sort of the cookie cutter theta gang strategy of trading this is the strategy that I do so just to play it back with you know our newfound knowledge maybe i could talk about my strategy just a little bit more from our recent episodes you know if i if i wanted to be someone's insurance for amd and i don't think amd will go below 118 i get paid maybe 100 bucks um it does go below 118 and then i have to buy the shares at 118 uh, no matter what but maybe amd is trading at 115 and someone wants to exercise their right to sell and i'm like okay well you know, I acted as the insurance for that person, so I'm gonna buy it for 118. I collected the hundred dollars, uh, and I keep that hundred dollars no matter what uh, because they just exercised it. That's fine, but I still keep my hundred. So my cost base is 117, but the stock price is currently at 115. So at the end of this like exercise and assignment that just happened because they exercised the put, um, I'm sitting on. 100 shares of AMD with a $200 loss because again, I sold the 118, but I received $100 from it. You subtract uh, 100 divided by one from the strike price, which is 118 minus one, that gets me to 117 uh, cost basis. But the share price right now, because I had to buy them from the person that insured it, uh, is 115. So I, at the very net end of this, have a 100 share position in AMD uh, with a $200 uh, unrealized loss because the 
again, the share price is 115. My cost basis is 117. Now you're in this predicament where you're allowed to sh- just sell the shares. Like if you if you have these shares and you're done with all your obligation, right? Like you're you're off the hook. Someone just exercised their right to sell these to you, and they did. And now you bought them, bought the shares from them. It's up to you now where you, where you want to go. Like uh, typically, some people might panic. You know, it's like a very common thing for newer sort of option traders to do, where they panic that they get assigned these shares or they change their mind they're like you know what um this stock looks like it's headed down more i'm just gonna close this uh, 100 share batch for a loss um there's this other strategy that's called the wheel uh where now that you have these 100 shares even though they're at a loss you're gonna start help chipping away at the cost basis of these shares by selling a call um against those shares as a covered call like we talked earlier now you're just like a mini version of this hedge fund, this fictional hedge fund that I created for us. <laughs> um, because now that you have 100 shares, you're protected from that infinite max loss scenario that I was talking about earlier with NVIDIA. Because you have the shares to sell, um, you will always be safe in the event that your call gets assigned or you know someone exercises the call that they bought, you get assigned on your call. You're forced to sell because they have the obligation to be able to buy at that strike price. Uh, you have the shares to just be called away. And that's what makes this uh, sort of strategy very safe uh, where you're just executing this strategy called the wheel where you use a, a short put to enter sh- shares because maybe one day you get assigned and then you use cover calls to exit the shares um, because maybe you get assigned and you're forced to sell at a certain price because the stock has gone up too much. If you do enough due diligence, you find your system, you ask the right questions to the correct people on the internet and you develop a good community and you ask again the right questions, you could develop a system where you find the sweet spot where you are you know, getting enough premium from just selling and closing the contracts versus actually getting assigned and taking on the shares and managing cost basis and then having that eventually get called away to repeat the cycle. Um, there's no you know, correct way to necessarily trade this sort of style. There's so many different ways to do it. Um, some people really enjoy being assigned and working on the cost basis and working down the cost basis through covered calls. Some people don't like being assigned at all for example, you know, like if you sell the put um, and it does end up going down, the share price does end up going down. Um, some people prefer rolling the trade, aka closing the trade and rolling out the strike or maybe rolling out the expiration. In exchange for a little bit less premium, they, they, get, they further the chance of getting assigned, buying themselves more time to be correct. But you can see there's just so many times uh in the process of all this where you can touch the trade you can influence the trade develop your own style but what i've talked about today is really the max loss of what can happen really in uh if you trade again like short calls without your shares leading to unlimited loss uh in case if there's a short squeeze like gamestop if you you don't have gamestop shares and you sell naked calls or short calls on uh gamestop and gamestop goes from 13 to like 600 dollars. you're going to go bankrupt um it's going to be a lot of money that you're going to lose and in case if it goes to a thousand 
$2,000, $3,000, you're on the hook to lose like millions of dollars uh, in, in the event that it does a meteoric rise like that. Uh, on the flip side, if you um, sell a put, if you act as insurance, that's who you are. You have to always be um, understanding that the other person can exercise the right to sell. If you sell a put, you're giving someone the right to sell um, that uh, stock at a certain price. So you have to be prepared. If the stock crashes, there's a good chance you're going to get assigned on those shares. There's some people that are also saying like, Junie, why don't you just close the put that you sold for a loss instead of picking up the shares? And that's where differences in opinions and styles start to shine because personally for me, when I sell a put, I will always take the shares on. I have some experience doing this during the COVID crash where I was assigned $80,000 worth of stocks, uh, Visa, Nvidia, and Apple. Um, and I remember I remember being down a, a, definitely a five-digit number, like a mid-five-digit number at one point. And it looks so bad, looks so red, but I was really thankful that I didn't realize losses because what happens is if you get assigned the shares, you actually own up to the exercise or the assignment of the um, the put that you sold. You own the shares. Yes, your shares are red because it's gone straight through that strike price, um, but you're sitting on an unrealized loss. Assuming that the stock market returns to normal or that uh, that particular stock returns to normal, you will be okay as long as you hold on to it long enough. So that's why one of the core rules that I set for my own self, you don't have to follow this rule, but it's just one of my favorite rules that I set for myself, is that I never write cash-secured puts or I never do short puts on any companies I would not want to own. And I have several podcasts um, earlier in the in this podcast series where um, you know, I talk about common pitfalls where people will listen to me and think like, okay, yeah, I agree. I will, I will only sell puts on companies that I, I like, but you'll quickly find out your opinion changes of whether you like the stock or not changes drastically when you do eventually do get assigned. You start questioning like, oh, you know, why did it go through the strike price so much? You know, in fact, maybe I don't actually like the stock. I'm, I just really like the price and you end up closing it for a loss, which is, okay which is okay to do if you don't feel comfortable in a trade and realizing the loss just feels safer to you by all means you should do it but that doesn't sound like a very repeatable process as i mentioned earlier in this podcast i like making my trading style and trading um habits repeatable because i want to do this essentially for the rest of my life until i retire and maybe a little bit more um so i need to be able to trade in a way that lets me trade as predictably as possible and leave emotion out of it. So if I write a cash secured put, or if I write a short put, or if I sell a put, um, all of those three things being the same thing, if I do one of those things, I need to be okay with assignment because I'm gonna sit on a potential unrealized loss for a really long time, and it better be with a company that I enjoy. That also means that if I sell a call, on shares that I have covered because I would never share or sell um, a call that I didn't have shares uh, for. That's a that's considered a short call. I would never do that. I'm not down for unlimited loss. But in the event that I do have the shares, like for this AMD example, 
um, and I wanted to sell a covered call against my uh, theoretical 100 shares of AMD, I'm always going to make sure that the covered call is above my cost basis. In the event that like AMD goes really far down and you know I think like, oh, there's no way it's going to go up 1% in a day or you know 3% this week. When you're down like 8% on the entire position, don't write the covered call, or at least this is for me, I don't write the covered call below where I break even on the entire stock position. That doesn't make sense to me. Like, why would you want to sign yourself up for your shares to get called away at an eventual loss? You might as well just like wait until the share price goes back up to be able to start sell covered calls in that manner. But of course, you can always break these rules. You can always find like these little edge cases where like, hey, Junie, like I think that this stock is actually just going to keep going down. And I just rather work on my cost basis going downwards, selling covered calls to work on my break even. Uh, but that doesn't sound repeatable. That sounds like a very one off scenario. So in most cases, I will always sell cover calls above my break even so that in the event i ever get assigned on a cover call it is a good thing because i'm exiting for a profit having this mental um sort of framing of you know entering trades with uh, with a uh with a short put as like a discount on buying 100 shares is a win-win scenario for me in case if i do get assigned on puts and it's a win-win for me if my shares get called away on a covered call um, in the event that you know st the stock goes up because I just made a profit on my net position on that stock. So this is just how I think about it. Um, there are plenty of resources online to have a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth opinion on how to sell options or how to look at it. Um, you know, it's kind of hard to follow along, especially if you're driving. I'm talking about numbers in an audio podcast. So one day, very soon, I will be on YouTube, and uh, I'll have a nice video where I draw along with you guys, I think, um, helping visualize what I'm talking about today. Uh, but for now, I do hope that this is a good sort of stepping stone into learning more about selling options. This is obviously not the all-in-depth guide on selling options, but this is called Selling Options 101 for a reason because I feel like, you know, just the... Uh, the, the two common questions being like, how do you uh, sell something or write something you don't own? That is not talked about enough, I think, in like beginner selling options stuff, uh, because that's that that's like the number one first question that comes out of people's minds when I start talking to them about them uh, about selling options in real life. And then again, the follow up thing that I talked about, where oh, disclosing my short option or just you know if I if I sell an option and then close it out, does it affect the person that bought it? That's that's the other second hardest thing to grasp. And again, the answer is no, because again, you guys are both trading representations of the contract from the brokerage because the brokerage is handling or handling all these um, transactions. So that when people are buying to open positions or you know selling uh, options to open positions. Uh, that you know, in case someone exercises a position or someone gets assigned and has to get shares get called away or they're forced to buy a position, the brokerage is handling all this for you, and that's that's typically why they have fees. Robinhood now is charging a three cent fee for going in and out of trades, which is 
kind of nuts actually because they're they're they were really leaning into free trades for such a long time but it's not free anymore it's three cents now but that's why you know brokerages are not free or you know most brokerages are not free for options trading um because they do all of this for you they need to make money handling all these transactions and doing all these fancy things for you um so yeah options 101 answer the two most common questions that i get in real life coaching like when i'm when someone hits me up they're like oh junie you know i heard that like you do a lot of options stuff you know i got got from wall street bets um or like you know i was trading the rally and then i got got because i got too greedy can you teach me more about you know what you talk about on the podcast all that stuff and i'll meet with them and they'll have those two questions it's it's pretty cookie cutter at this point. Like I think every single person I've asked has had those two questions. And it'd be kind of cool if you feel like you've had those two questions, or maybe this is the first episode you're ever listening to of mine. Uh, I wonder if you had those two questions when you're learning more about selling options, that'd be interesting. Um, and yeah, fun episode. I haven't done an episode like this in quite a while. Um, but, uh, yeah, I hope to make more detailed examples of you know getting more into different types of strategies going forward and different metrics of like what i like to particularly look for when i do sell an option like what type of company do i choose what metrics am i looking for like am i looking at the stock graph or am i looking at the volume or am i looking at any sort of mixture of the two am i looking at the bid and ask spread what what am i looking for when i open these trades that sort of info can only be made sense of if I started with these two episodes first, the buying options 101 and selling options 101. Because if we don't understand this uh, stuff here, there's no way we're going to understand this stuff later. So season two is what I'm marking this comeback as after my my break from the podcast. And uh, I'd say this is a good start. Thank you for listening. And uh, I'll see everybody next week for next week's episode. Thank you. This podcast, the website, and stream are all made possible because of my patrons at patreon.com slash Signing up helps keep the services up and alive as well as pay my own personal bills. I do the podcast, website, and stream full-time and is my primary source of income. I feel grateful to be able to do this full-time and my focus on providing the best service possible for free. The website, podcast, and stream are all free and it'll stay that way. Signing up for Patreon does give you a few perks, so check it out again at patreon.com slash if you're interested in helping support. And here we go. The reason why the stream, podcast, and website are all ad-free, uh, I want to give a huge thanks to Fancy Wolf, Los Pepes, Mods, Pasture Bedtime, Upstream Puddle, Seneca, Ensys88, EDC, Kevlar22, Nala, J Perkins86, Slow Motion, Rustier, The Jester, Grandpa95, Chicken Dinner, Jack O' Lantern, Bob, Kaput, K21 Butler, Symmetrix, Statistically Random, Turbo Ricky, Maestro XC, Lord of Skeletor, Major, uh, Teco Mi Elmo, Avrilian, Danube9000, McFly, Mr. Integrity, Roostered, Bearded Savage, Caveman, Andy V, Arfman, Mehmeh, Camp McMoney, IRL, and Maltman1856. I just want to say thank you one more time. Uh, huge thanks because a lot of the, uh, the patrons I've just mentioned are actually very long time 
um, patrons. Uh, they're, they're, some of these people have supported me for years, not, not like a year or like months, but like years. Uh, and it means a lot. It means that, you know, I haven't scared them away yet. <laughs> um, but more importantly, they, they also support me and believe in, believe in me. So I have to do my best and continue to do my best. So you'll get my best in my podcast stream and website. Um, again, dark mode was just released. So I'm hype about that. And now we're just on to the next feature and the next one and the next one and the next one. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Wow. You know, doing these more educational educational, um, episodes, I feel drained. Like I haven't, (laughs) I haven't eaten yet, but I have had two cups of coffee. Um, So, you know, it's like the best hunger suppressor ever. But anyway, um, I feel so mentally taxed. I'm just so glad to be done with the episode. But it was a necessary thing to do. need everyone on the same page before i get into any more specifics um and i do like how my newer episodes are just framed in season two so for those that are tuning in um i think maybe they might start with season two i don't know the listening habits to everybody to be honest i just know that my first episode is the most listened to episode and there's some random ones thrown uh thrown in there um girls are better investors is like or girls are better traders girls are better something it's one of the click click baity articles that um or rather podcast episodes that i've ever done um just explaining that like because girls don't necessarily care about the stock market all that much um they typically do better than i'd say the the most veteran uh males that know how to trade because if you don't touch your trades and all you do is buy stock, aka the most boring strategy, I think you beat a majority of people. But it's like the male ego that gets in our way that wants to beat spy and you know be right. We want to time the top uh, because we want to be right when it's going up and we want to bet correctly when it's going down. Whereas, you know my fiance might just be like buying like one share a month or you know just because she went to target that day or she went to ulta or lulu or something you know so um where was i on this topic oh yeah just like just talk about shows and listening patterns um and girls uh, girls are better investors being one of the episodes um yeah, give that give, give that one a listen if you haven't uh, actually listened to that one. I think that one's pretty interesting. Um, there's a there's a few pockets of like really really good content in my last episodes, um, but because I did it every week, like I am doing right now, there are there are some episodes that are lacking more content. I mean that's just that's just like the law of averages. Like not every single co- piece of content that I ever do is going to be amazing. But what I think people enjoyed the most was just the consistency of the podcast. Um, so I want to bring that at least back, right? Like I can't promise the best, best podcast on earth, but I can show up every every week and and talk a little bit into the mic, uh, especially since I do this full time. Um, I can do that. Um, so yeah, starting off with season two after my return to the podcast, I think is gonna be the best way I organize my podcast going forward. And I'd imagine I would start season three whenever I decide to take a vacation because I work 
on theta gang full time now. It's not like I can just take PTO, which is kind of alarming to me. But luckily, I'm not that big on traveling. Like, I'm not a traveling dude. Um, I'll, the most I'll ever really realistically travel is like to my parents, and that's like a six-hour drive. But I don't, I don't really mind that one. I like, I like to do like a lot of reflection and thinking of like what I want to do. Uh, during that drive and it honestly goes by really fast because i'm like just thinking the entire time there's like a lot of the road where there's no cell signal maybe like for an hour or two at a time where you can't listen to music or listen to any podcasts um i because i'm just thinking i don't need feel the need to like download podcasts um or download uh, uh, music for that time so i do some critical thinking during that time it's pretty good um, but yeah, because I don't travel, I am lucky that I don't necessarily care about PTO. Um, yeah, but like I mentioned, it is also a little bit scary that I don't have a regular income anymore. Um, but I'll, I'll figure something out. Um, I do want to, I do want to share a story, um, about, uh, a story that my friend that is visiting, um, he told me a story that really resonated with me um, that I haven't re- reflected on enough to make something of it, but I just thought it was a really, really interesting story. Um, and I hope I hope maybe some of you can find um, some meaning in it because it really, really resonated with me and it really um, made sense to me about the stream, about Twitch, which is why, which explains a lot of why I'm so proud of it as a recent. So he told me, he works at a he works at a pretty big company and just to keep it um a little bit more private i'm not gonna call it any sort of name we'll just say he works at the company okay the company is very very big and one day the late steve jobs the ex-ceo of apple uh visited the company and the company asked steve jobs um what can we do better? And Steve Jobs looked at the CEO and said, you make some of the most beautiful products in the world, but you also make a lot of poop. He used the S word. I'm just not going to use the S word because I want to keep this PG. But he said, you also make a lot of poop. Okay. And and by that, you know, this company, we all know it because their, mo- not their moat, but their total addressable market is huge. They're in like every single industry. Um, and we all know the logo. And, but they make a lot of things that are subpar, but they also make some of the best, you know, things in that category in the world. So Steve Jobs said, you know, essentially, you make the what, some of the most beautiful products in the world, but you dilute the brand essentially by making a lot of poop, or you know, making a lot of poop products. And just for reference, they don't actually make products for poop, but this is just again a very PG a substitute for the S word. <laughs> so I started thinking about that, um, and this was maybe. This was this was about like a week ago, like a little bit after I recorded the podcast. 
um, episode for that day. So this was like last week, Friday. And I, I did some thinking and I was like, you know what? Before when I did Twitch, I wasn't, I didn't think of Twitch as like a serious place to grow. Like I wasn't trying on Twitch and you could kind of hear that from like my audio quality from long time ago. Um, maybe like my streaming schedule was, it was pretty consistent. It was like every Tuesday at five Arf man remembers, <laughs> but it was like one day a week. You know, I didn't take it seriously. Of course I had a nine to five job. So that made it also kind of challenging and other hobbies uh, that I still do. But now that I have this full time, I can actually make time for this. Um, and, I'm just now noticing that like I'm putting a lot more effort into Twitch and I'm basically not making it poop. I'm actually trying to make it a a beautiful product and it's it's working. I'm seeing more people show up, more people are following, there's more subs and it feels really good. Same thing goes for the website. I I was in a in a state where I was really busy with my 9 to 5 and the only chances I got to work uh, on like sort of V3 and build features for it were in like very small chunks of time. So I felt like I always had to rush my my feature. And so it would, it would work. I wouldn't say it came out buggy, but it didn't look good. My main focus right now is making sure that when I'm like building out datingy.com, that everything like looks really good. And I feel like I'm if you go to thetagang.com right now, if you haven't been there in a while, or maybe you're you're just now looking now because there's dark mode now, it looks it looks beautiful. Like I am so proud to call it m- my own website that I've built and that people use it and people write me thank yous. I feel so proud when I talk about thetagang.com as my website. Like that is it's such a cool feeling to me. Um, there's that. Also. I put more time and energy into the podcast. Like you can, I I hope you guys can tell the difference. Like if you listen to any of the episodes in episode one, and you compare it to this one, the audio should sound a little bit better. Uh, the intro song is I wouldn't I wouldn't call that necessarily better, but I think if I like the song a little bit better, okay. <laughs> and then um, the the show note quality has gone up, right? Like because I have actual time in each of my day, Monday through Friday, to write down notes for earnings, where now instead of just saying what earnings uh, like were coming up, now I'm giving like a detailed overview of my favorite stocks and like why, why the stocks might go up and down. Continuing to say that earnings are dangerous, that will always stay there. But I'm giving a better, I'm getting better at reporting on why um, is some numbers are playing out and how companies report. So the quality of the podcast is also going up because I don't want it to be poop, right? Like, so whatever I'm putting my time and energy into right now as like, again, like the sole employee of Theta Gang with the website, stream, and podcast, and, you know, possibly the merch soon, I have to make sure that I don't do poop. Like that, uh, I, I got to make sure I do poop. That's that's number one. That's like a priority of mine in the morning. But in terms of making poop as a product, yeah, I have to do my best. I have to make sure it's reflected well. And I want my branding to be strong. I want, I want people to believe like, okay, if Junie is doing something like the stream, 
whenever he says like oh come check out my stream it's not like a oh come check out my other other channel to like grow it's like a no he actually puts his uh like blood sweat and tears into that thing uh and that when you go you really feel like it's a personal event that you get to really interact with me and like ask me questions laugh together spend some time in the morning just to like trade with other people that are like-minded that's the sort of vibe i want not like oh he's just trying to grow at his platform and he wants his numbers to go up that's not what i want to give off because that is where poop i think comes from when you just do things for numbers to go up uh when you use the website i want you to feel good that like that this website's being built by an options trader like by me i use the website every day so when i know that a part of the website sucks I'm feeling it and I'm going to change it because I'm also using it. I'm not hiring someone to build this for me that doesn't care about building the website that's going to cut corners. I'm building it. So if it sucks, I'm going to fix it. Um, and then, yeah, I, I like I said, just like on the podcast, I'm putting more effort into it. And um, uh <laughs> I, I just I just I just love that example so much. You know, if something sucks on the website, I'm going to fix it. <laughs> um yeah yeah i'm just just taking more ownership of of the stuff i do also like again like the um, merch if i do a merch drop if i'm selling a t-shirt it's not gonna just be um you know i'm not gonna just like say like hey buy this like random um theta gang logo t-shirt if you want it like that's that's not what i'm that's not what i'm about like for example, what what have my merch drops been? I've done two, and they've both sold out. I've done uh, one where it was a Theta Gang hoodie, where the Theta Gang logo was in white. Um, on the sleeve, it said First Edition, and it it also had your Theta Gang username on the sleeve. Um, and they also had an Autism Speaks logo on the other sleeve because I made an Autism Speaks donation with like. 10% of the profits, I think. Um, and that was fun. The next piece of merch that also sold out was a crew neck. Uh, the crew neck was a very, very expensive blank. Like the, the, the crew neck itself, the, the actual, I don't know how else to say it. The actual crew neck was a really nice Canadian mill crew neck, not like a really cheap Chinese, like, uh, sh- cheap labor sort of crew neck. It was like a really nice crew neck with the Theta Gang logo, but this time the Theta Gang logo had color. Okay, so it had that Theta Gang green. This time, and, okay, and, and that that crew neck sold out. This time, I think I'm going to do a T-shirt. Um, and each of the T-shirts are going to be unique in a way where you're probably going to be able to put your Theta Gang username on there. I might make it so that only Theta Gang users can buy it uh, i'll find some way to make that possible and it'll be a very very small batch like i don't want to do something where i'm just putting my theta gang logo again it's mine like i paid someone with my own direction to come up with that logo work with them very extensively on like what exactly i wanted i gave them like inspiration mood board and work with them for like two weeks on like what exactly i wanted it's my logo many revisions had to be gone through um and i just don't want to slap the logo that I have so much pride and joy in on like random like Bic pens or like I don't want to just slap it on like a 
a very generic notepad and then like or just put it on a regular plain shirt i want whenever you see this thaging logo i want you to know that like this is someone's like full effort uh because as of right now uh, just as a reminder because i know everyone forgot <laughs> i do this full time it's fun but um i have way more pride in it now than i ever have and it feels exciting to be able to work on this um so yeah if a merch drop comes you'll know that you know i put a lot of effort and energy into it uh otherwise continue using the website podcast check out the stream sometimes and whenever you see that they gang logo yeah you know someone is trying their best at not making a poop product <laughs> yeah um steve jobs i mean he was very he was a very polarized person you either love steve jobs or you hated the guy um i think i'm more on the boat of loving him just because i didn't know him as a person enough to hate him i don't honestly i don't really hate anyone like i can't i can't think of a single person that i hate like just just being real like i might dislike hanging out with like a few certain people but i don't hate them like i just know that you know we're not we're just like maybe not compatible or um we're just we just think differently or something but i don't hate anyone um when it comes to steve jobs i do like you know his approach on um solving solutions um maybe less of the yelling part but his just his vision and like the, just that that poop story made makes so much sense you know if you make some of the best products in the world and i do fundamentally believe that thetagain.com could be the best options like social platform or best options like um trade logger it can be like i i believe that and in order for that to work I have to work on the things that matter and then make it not poop or poopy. So thank you, Steve Jobs, and thank you, friend, that works at the company for the uh, inspiration. Um, it lit a fire under me, which I think was the reason why Dark Mode came out. So, you know, there's there's a little bit of lore right there. Um, in order to not be poopy, I got the instinctual need to just get out dark mode because, yeah, I'd say the website looks pretty darn nice. Um, so, yeah, a little bit longer of a 1% section. If this is one of your first sort of sections that you're listening to me just ran randomly talk about a topic, um, yeah, I just kind of quickly dropped the lore. Uh, before, back in the day, uh, only it would say in my Spotify analytics that only 1% of people finished the entire episode. Um, and then I thought, you know what, if I'm just going to talk about like how I'm doing uh, or, you know, any personal stuff might happen, maybe some people would be inclined to keep listening. And like, it's like sort of like a audio vlog style. And I'll just, I'll just put that at the end. You know, if you, if you want to tune out, maybe you just got the content of the website or <laughs> content of the podcast um, done and you like want to tune out at the outro i get you i'm like a regular consumer too like sometimes i don't listen or watch the credits either um i just put this at the end here you got you get a little bit more in depth uh current events or current status of like how the platforms are doing my own thoughts what i'm up to but otherwise 
again, you don't have to listen this far, uh, but I am thankful for to those that do. So with that, uh, I'll end it here. Everyone have a, again, rest of your Thanksgiving weekend. Oh, of course, you're not going to even be able to really do anything about that because this is come out on Monday and Thanksgiving weekend's going to be over. So I hope you guys have a wonderful week. I hope you guys are well rested after your Thanksgiving weekend. And I'll see everybody on the stream <laughs> on Twitch at twitch.tv slash real at 9 a.m. Pacific time. Bye-bye.